need some real answers this morning. The world needs some real answers because everything is being blurred right now. Amen? Everything is being blurred. Every line is being crossed. Every boundary is being moved that has existed for eons. They're all being moved. Every absolute is being torn down. Every definition is being redefined. We need some real answers. What always was, now isn't. I need some real answers. Can this book offer me some real answers this morning? Every foundational truth is under attack. And I need some answers. We need some answers. The church has to have some answers for what's going on. To the problems, to the current problems that we're facing. What does this book have to teach us this morning? You might be able to tell I'm a little bit frustrated over all this stuff. I want some substantial truth. I want something real. I want something that I can base my life on, that I know is right and righteous. And, and does this book offer that to us this morning? You know, part of the problem is we, we read over is Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3. We read over these chapters so quickly we do fail to stop and ask ourselves, what is God trying to communicate with us concerning this creation account? What is he really trying to say? Is God saying, hey everyone, look what I can do. Look how powerful I am. I can call things into existence. Come and, and be amused on the magical tricks that I can do, on how powerful I am. Is, is that what he's doing? Just, just telling us, you know, he, he can call the world into existence. He can speak the sun and the moon and the stars and the universe and the cosmos. Is that what he's doing? Or, or is there more to it than that? Could it be possible that he's trying to explain something to us? Could it be possible that he's trying to reveal himself to us? Remember this. Always when you read the Bible, it is not a novel to entertain you. It is not a novel it is not for our entertainment. God is not trying to entertain us with the powerful things that he can do or amuse us by saying, looky what I can do. No, God, understand this, is trying to connect with us. He's trying to connect with humanity through this biblical narrative. The word of God is, it's God's way of communicating to us. Now, quickly, before we jump into this, You'll remember it was a month, maybe a month and a half ago. I can't remember. All my dates always get mixed up. That's why God gave me a white. We spent a good deal of time trying to get the correct perspective. Uh, there's a fancy church term called hermeneutic. That's the, the correct way to, to read and discern and understand these scriptures. But I actually spent, uh, it's like a month and a half ago, so during a sermon, I... I I tried to explain the correct way that we ought read these things. The, now understand, these are some of the most ancient writings in the world that we're going to go over. Some of the oldest written words in the world is what we're going to go over this morning. We have to have the correct approach to it. Now remember, I'll, I'll try to uh, help you remember from a month or so ago. It helps us to remember and to read this in terms of Remember the nation of Israel. They had been captive in Egypt for over 400 years. 
okay? And at that time, this nation of Israel, there was no Bible at all. There was no organization to the Word of God. You say, how do you know that? Because Moses, all through the New Testament, by Jesus, by the disciples, he is accredited with writing the, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, okay? So Moses writes all this stuff. Well, when does Moses come along? He comes along at the end of that captivity, right? That 430 years. So they're captive for centuries and centuries and centuries. All they really know and see is, well, we have this account that's passed down to us from generation to generation. Remember the, the uh, um, Abraham, God's covenant with Abraham? They, they know these things. They're, they're passed down orally from generation to generation. There's no Bible yet. There's no organization. There may be a few things written down here or there, but none of it is organized yet. All they really know is this land of Egypt with all these pagan gods. They have these promises that don't seem to be coming true, that they're going to be this great nation. No Bible yet. This, that's, that's all they have. Not much put together yet. No organization to the word of God yet. So Genesis, Moses begins to start writing these things. Okay, the things that he knows that have been passed down to him. The things that are happening currently to him. He begins to write these things. So, so try to keep that kind of a mindset. That that is the mindset we should have when we, we read these first, especially these first five books of Genesis. Uh, of the Pentateuch. So Genesis is going to tell these ancient Israelites the story of the origin of all things. Okay? Hopefully that's not too confusing. But it's important to remember this. That the story of the origin of all things is the story of us all. Of us all. It, it is not exclusive. What, what I'm going to read this morning is not exclusive to the ancient Hebrews. It is not exclusive to the Jews only. It is the story of us all. Whether you have light skin or dark skin, whether you're rich or poor, whether you live in America or Asia, it's the story of us all. You don't even see Jews coming into the picture until halfway through the books of Genesis. So this is the story of all of us, what we're about to go over. It's the story, it's, it's the, the story of humanity for all of us. So Genesis 1.1. Now, we can't spend too much time on Genesis 1.1, even though it is awesome. You could spend a, a lot of time unpacking it, but that's just not where the Lord would have us to spend all of our time this morning. Genesis 1.1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, first of all, notice this. Do you know that the Bible, the Bible differentiates itself from all other religions, from all other explanations, and it does so in the very first sentence. Do you know that every other religion in the world, every other explanation of the origin of how we got here, any other ancient pagan religion, whatever it may be, they all start with something, but the Bible starts with nothing. Nothingness. It says there is nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the very first sentence, the Bible differentiates itself from any other explanation that man has come up with because it starts with absolutely nothing, not even time itself. And God calls time into existence. He calls this world into existence. He calls space into existence. It's a beautiful scripture, but we can't spend that much time on it this morning. 
let alone just that, that verse alone, it gives us purpose. It means we were created. We were designed. That verse gives us purpose and meaning to life. But we got to move on to verse 2. It says this. Now pay attention to the wording. Wording is always important. I always ring from the King James. If you don't, that's okay. Verse 2 says, And the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So God creates this heaven and this earth, but strangely, what He creates is without form. The Bible says it's, it's void and without form. If you actually read this in a Hebrew Bible, it actually says the earth being unformed and void. So we, we have to understand how important that is. God speaks this into existence. It's a strange power that only God has that God wills it into being. You remember about a month ago I preached that only God has what's called the power of being. He can call something into existence out of nothingness. Only God can create. Man can make things. We can make things with raw materials. But we cannot create. Only God can create. But strangely what God creates, it is void. It's devoid of life. It's unorganized. It's inhospitable. It's like this swirling ball of elements. Now, obviously, I don't know exactly what it's like. No one knows exactly what he created. But by the verbiage here, we can see that whatever it was, it was incomplete. It's devoid of everything. Inhospitable. It's all there, but it's unformed, the Bible says. It's like all those ingredients are right there, but it's not mixed together yet. It's not formed at all. All those ingredients are there, but it's important to note that it's all in a form of chaos. There's no vegetation. There's no light. There's no trees. There's no streams with fish in them. There's no organisms. There's no people. There's no cities. But look what God starts to do. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Can you see what God is starting to do here? He, he methodically starts to bring order out of chaos, doesn't he? There's this swirling ball of raw elements. And God starts bringing and shaping it and molding it. And he starts to bring order from chaos. There's this chaotic mass of elements that the Bible says it's devoid. It has no form. But his spirit, or you could even say the wind of God, blows over the face of the earth. And he wills light into existence. Do you understand that, that this is what God does? That God brings things into being that were not. Chaos is not acceptable to God. This is who he is. This is what God does. You'll notice the word back in verse 4. You'll notice that word divide. And God divided the light from the darkness. I told you words are very important. We'll see many times in chapter 1. We won't go all through all of it. But if, if you look all through chapter 1, you will see that word divide or you'll see the word divided. Many times you'll see it. 
And, and what that means is it's, it's a separation. God is separating one thing of an, from another. He is differentiating. He says, this is day and this is night. He says, night is not day and day is not night. Do you know what he's doing, brothers and sisters? He is making distinctions. God begins to make distinctions. He says, this is distinct from that. This is different from that. Light is not day, or light is not night, and night is not day. They are distinct from one another. God begins to make distinctions as he brings order out of chaos. We're going to see. You ever notice this? That, that God, he doesn't create a fully functioning universe, which he could have. I mean, we're talking about God. God could have just said, let there be everything, up and fully functional everything. You ever ask yourself that? Well, well, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. He's unimaginably powerful. He's timeless, spaceless, beginningless. He could have, he could have created everything, bam, right then and there, but he doesn't. I wonder if he's trying to teach us something. Many people might say, well, he's trying to, to give us an example of, of a seven-day work week. To that I say amen, but I think there's more to it than that. We're going to see that God didn't create a fully functioning universe, which he could have. He created a world that was void and unformed. Could it be possible? I'll throw this out to you this morning. Think about this. that God is trying to communicate to us that his word was not only to create, but to bring divine order out of chaos. Maybe he's trying to teach us that there should be an order to things. Maybe he's trying to give us an example that things ought to be orderly. That things can't be chaotic. He's trying to teach us that we cannot live in a world that is unorganized. There, there must be rules for mankind to survive. God is order, orderly, therefore we ought to be orderly. Maybe, we, maybe it is good that we have governing bodies. Maybe it is good that we have judicial systems. Maybe it is good that we establish economies. There's got to be an order to things. God is showing that in the very first chapter of the Bible that that is foundational to humanity. There must be order. There has to be a rule of law. There should be education. God is teaching us to be human. This is how we must interact. There must be order. There has to be rules. You don't just get to act however in the world you want to on this planet. There must be a divine order to things. In order for us to thrive, in order for our communities and neighborhoods and states and nations to get along, there has to be order in order for us to all get along and thrive as human beings. Do you see that emerging from the text? Genesis chapter 1 verse 6 says, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. There's that word divide again. Verse 7, and God made the firmament and divided, there it is again, the waters which were under that firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament or the atmosphere heaven in, in the evening and the mornings were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place. <clears throat> and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, 
and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Do you see what we're seeing here? We're seeing more distinctions being made. We see more divine order coming out of this devoid world that God created, this swirling ball of elements. God slowly and methodically starts bringing order, his divine order to this planet that we call earth, to this solar system and to our universe. God's dividing waters from the dry land. He's dividing the light from the darkness. He's making distinctions. Day is not night. Night is not day. They're different from one another. Land is not sea. Sea is not land. They're different from one another. I have divided them. I have set those boundaries, God says. So just a few verses into the entire Bible, we see these distinctions between light and dark. Day and night. Land and sea. We see that word divide. Here in a moment we'll see a distinction between man and animal. These are distinctions made by God. You'll, maybe you're wondering, why, why are these distinctions so important? Why are you pointing that out? Because those distinctions are God's divine order. They're God's divine order to keep us from chaos. The, you know, the Word of God teaches us distinctions. What is good? It teaches us what is bad. What is righteous? What is unrighteous? What is parent? What is child? What is male? What is female? What is mankind? What is animal? What is man? What is God? These are all distinctions that the Bible teaches us. In order which you can see the secular world trying to erase. Amen? You see that, don't you? The world is coming along with their eraser, and they're erasing everything that God says, no, 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 those are distinct. Mankind's come along and has erased them and said, nah, we won't go by those lines. We won't go by those distinctions. We'll say what's good and evil. The world is trying to remove distinctions between men and women, aren't they? There's no difference between men and women. You know, a biological man, he, he can play in the biological women's sports. There's nothing wrong with that. He can go into the women's locker room. There's no distinction there. That's what the world says. There's no difference between men and women. If you're a man and you exhibit masculine characteristics, you need canceled. Because it's toxic to be masculine. And you need emasculated, the world says. It's toxic to open a door for a lady. It's toxic masculinity where that man wants to protect and defend his home. All that's bad. We're going to erase those boundaries. We're going to erase what God has set. It's an erasure of the distinctions that God has ordained. That's what it is. If you're a woman, the, the, you need to embrace feminism, the world says. You need to seize things by force. Be more militant. Be more demanding. That, that our women, you need to forsake marriage. You need to forsake motherhood. You need to forsake child rearing. You need to forsake the home. And you need to start battling the patriarchy. Because everything men built is garbage. This world that men built is garbage. It's an erasure of the distinctions that God has made. It's exactly what it is. It is a step from divine order back towards chaos. That's what it is, brothers and sisters. I'm sure somewhere I'm getting canceled. I'm sure of it for saying these things. Amen. You know, women, there, there's three, this, three things that, that I see, and I know you guys do too. There is a 
ugly, horrific war against men. An ugly war against men where masculinity has been demonized. That's number one. Number two, there is a horrific, ugly war against women. You ladies, you know that? Do you see that? There is a war against you. There is a war for you to erase what you're supposed to be and and give you some sort of new identity given by the world and not by God. And, And the worst one of them all, you see the war against our children. The ones supposed to be protected and innocent from all this filth of the world. It, what, what this is, it's an erasure of distinctions and it is a step towards chaos. To a world that is unformed, inhospitable, void of any life. Brothers and sisters, when we remove these distinctions, we lose our identity. You understand that? We, we no longer understand who or what we are. It's a step closer towards chaos, toward a world that's void and unformed. Listen to me now. Distinctions are okay. They're okay. Because they're boundaries created by God. They are part of God's divine order. We must embrace and preserve the distinctions that God set in order. Genesis Chapter 2, verse 7. This isn't all kids stuff now, is it? Turns out it's not just for our kids. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. I don't know if you see it in there or not, but this too is a distinction. This is a a distinction between man and animal. It is, it is God saying mankind is not animals. Animals are not mankind. God has separated the two. Animals, they too have the breath of life in their nostrils. They do. Animals are living beings. Animals have a will to go out and to survive, all just like us, but only the man has become a living soul. I'm sorry for all you dog lovers out there. Mankind is distinct from animals. Mankind is made in God's image. The male and the the female both are made in God's image. Animals are not. They are not. They are distinct. They are different. Secularists have blurred these lines as well. You see that too, don't you? Evolutionists would teach you That's not true. You are an animal. I always like that. I don't know who said it, but someone said along the lines that we have taught our kids in school that they're animals. We've taught this evolution stuff that you're evolved. You're you're an advanced animal. And then they act like animals. And we scratch our heads and we can't figure out why they're acting like animals. Maybe we ought to reread some of this stuff in Genesis. And see that we're not animals. We don't get to live like animals. We don't get to treat people like animals. It's clear that in God's divine order, mankind is above animals. Look at Genesis chapter 2 verse 16. And the Lord God, pay attention to the wording. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
This passage, brothers and sisters, is a perfect, perfect example of human nature. It, it is a capture, a snapshot of the picture of human nature. If I asked everyone in here individually, those, those verses that we just read, what is it that God commanded? Most everyone would say, well, he commanded us, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But, but that's only partially correct. Do you, do you realize that the command in this passage is actually to eat of every fruit of the tree of the garden? That's the actual command. It's a positive command. He says, the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. That's the command. He just says, hey, there's a clause to this. You can't eat of that one tree here. What a perfect picture of human nature. We always want what we can't have. We always want what is forbidden. We always want what God has said no to. We always want what God says, that's bad for you. Don't eat that. But we say, I want that then. It is a perfect scripture that describes human nature to us. We want what is out of bounds. Forget about everything that God has given every other tree that's in the garden. The Bible calls it a garden. That leads me to believe there was fruits and vegetables, beans, nuts, berries, whatever you name it. We could have ate of fruits of all kinds. There was all them in there, but we wanted the one that was forbidden. What a picture of human nature. We want the forbidden fruit. How many marriages have been ruined because a man or a woman wanted a different lover and, and neglected the one that God had already given. How, many, how much trouble has this caused when it's come to finances, status, or material things? Forget what God's provided. I want more. Are you noticing now how these chapters aren't for little children? They're kind of important, aren't they? Very important. Let's look at some scriptures now concerning man being alone in that garden and the creation of women. The creation of women is fantastic, you ladies. Pay attention to this part coming up. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says this. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Do you, you understand that technically speaking... The first thing that God says is not good, technically speaking, it's loneliness. It's loneliness. God says, no, that, that's not going to be good for that man, for him to be alone. It's loneliness. To remedy loneliness, God creates the woman. Now listen, women, and keep that war on, on women. Keep that in the back of your mind as we read this. Look at verse 21 in that second chapter. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, this, this verse, or this, this passage is, it's, it's misunderstood. We've done a poor job teaching this 
in, in the last 50 years or however long. One of the first things we can notice, I think this is kind of funny, but I think it's kind of revealing. Notice, if you will, the biblical creation account of man and the biblical creation route of women. How many scriptures it takes of man's creation versus how many scriptures it takes for the woman's creation. Men, this is all you get. Listen, Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils and br the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's all you get, men. You was formed up by the dust of the ground. The Lord breathed on you, and he brought you to life. Not, not a, really a story, not really a narrative. He just formed you up, and he made you. Not a whole lot of detail. It is what it is. But you women, you get five verses. You get five verses to describe the, the creation of women. And furthermore, I'll have you know this. I, I might have said this in our Bible study the other day. You know that the Bible... It gives us the only creation account of women in comparison with all of the other uh, ancient Near East religions. They don't mention the creation of women. The Bible does, and it takes longer time to, to explain the creation of women than it does the men. How's that for misogyny? Th those other religions, they don't even mention the, the creation of women. In the Bible, women get more scriptures than men. I just wonder if, if God is saying that not a whole awful lot of detail went into those men, into their wiring, as went into the wiring of the women. Men, you got clumped together with some mud, you got thrown together, and the Lord breathed on you, and there you are. That's your story. That's what you get. But the creation of the woman is very detailed. It's very orderly. It's almost a mini story, isn't it? It's, it's, it actually is a story. He caused Adam, Adam to, first of all, he has to notice that he's lonely. Causes him to fall into this sleep. Removes this rib from him. Creates the woman. Brings him to the man. Then, then they become one. It's a story. Could the Lord be trying to teach us something in that? Men, could the Lord try to be teach us something about women in that? I think so. Now, women, listen to me. Because there's something that needs cleared up about this. We teach our kids... That women are made from the rib of Adam. And, and indeed, we kind of read that here in this narrative. It's not entirely accurate. They don't say, oh, that's heretical. You just read it. No, no, no. You have to understand, ladies, you are not made from spare parts. Have you ever seen that meme on the internet that, uh, you know, atheists will put out there and say, oh, you women believe in Christianity, believe in the Bible? Well, it says you're made from spare parts. You are not, women, you are not subservient and you are not inferior. Uh, almost like the, the world would say, oh, Adam had all these spare ribs. He can, he can spare one of them and we'll just whip together a lady. And, you know, all she needs is just one part, like she's not equal to him or something like that. That is not what the Bible is saying here. We must remember that translating the Bible is an extremely difficult process. Extremely difficult. I already mentioned before, these are some of the oldest writings in the entire world. Okay, it's not, a lot of times we think, well, you just go over here and see what was written there, and then you just come over here and you write it in modern English. That's not how it works. Um, I should have brought to you this morning, I, I actually forgot. If you take John 3.16, okay, we, we all practically probably have John 3.16 memorized. 
But if you take John 3.16 over here in Greek, which it was written originally, and then you come over here to the English, which we have it memorized in English. If you took the word-for-word -word translation of that, what we know, John 3.16, in the Greek, it would not make sense at all. Not at all. Because translation, you don't just take one word and go to means this word. It's, it's a very difficult process. So here's what I'm trying to get at. The Hebrew word for rib does not just mean rib. Okay, listen to me. It means more of a side. Okay? It's the same word. Listen. It's the same word we see used in the Bible many places referring to the different sides of the tabernacle. Let's read one of those verses. Exodus chapter 26, verse 26 says, And thou shalt make bars of shittim wood, five for the boards of one side of the tabernacle, that's that same word, and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle. That's that same Hebrew word that we find in Genesis. And five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle for the two sides westwards. So when the Bible talks about these sides, it's almost like a mirror imaging. It says when you build the tabernacle this way, make the other side kind of matching to it. So when the Bible says that woman was made from rib, it's almost like in a divine way, the Lord took that man, caused him to fall asleep, and removed a side of him. So we can dismiss the nonsense of just women being made from spare parts. Ladies, that's not true, and that's not what the Bible teaches. God miraculously, he split Adam in half and removed of side of him. She's not made of spare parts. She is an equal but opposite side to that man. Is it no wonder now? Doesn't make sense to us now that when God brings Adam and Eve together, he says they shall be one flesh. It's because he removed a side of that man. Ladies, you're not made of spare parts. You are the side that came out of Adam. Now there's something even further we need to clear up about you ladies. Look back at verse 18 of chapter 2. It says, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. That's King James Version. The, the literal translation for that phrase, help meet for him, is this. A helper who is his equal. Now listen to me now. It, the Bible is saying God is going to create this woman and she is going to be a helper who is his equal. Now women, you might not like that helper part. In men, you might not like that his equal part. But it's important to know that's what the Bible teaches. That is exactly what the Bible teaches that women are to be the helper that are equal to the man. That is the man's equal. Now before any of our ladies want to dismiss that helper part, please listen closely to me. That Hebrew word for helper is ezer. It is a word we see used in many, many places in the, throughout the Bible to describe God's help towards mankind. God is ezer to us. So women, before you detach yourself from that helper part, listen to Psalms chapter 33, verse 20. 
It says this, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. That's that same Hebrew word, God is our azer and our shield. You'll find it used many places in the Bible to describe God. Be careful detaching yourself, women, from that helper part because it's the, it's a characteristics of God. Azer, he's our helper. He helps us. And men, listen to me. You must acknowledge that equal to part as well. She is not subservient. She is not less than you. You are not up here and she's down here. You are not superior to. You are not to dominate her. I know that out in the world there is a battle of sexes, isn't there? There is a battle. One's trying to dominate the other. We see this. I, I, I believe that it's explained very clearly in the Bible, but we don't have time for that today. Men, you must acknowledge that equal to part. She's the side of you. She is made in God's image just like you. We just have different roles to play. God creates a perfect balance in marriage. A perfect balance. Listen to this. Many people think woman in Hebrew means opposite of man. And, and that's partially correct. It's not necessarily completely accurate though. A better translation of that word woman would be this. Opposed to man. Opposed to man. Not just opposite, but opposed to man. God, men, listen to me. God has given us our wives to oppose us. Do you understand that? That changes the whole, whole ball playing field, doesn't it? That, that definition. Now, now, women, listen to me. That does not mean to just to nitpick and fight and, and to cause friction. That's not what it means. But it does mean to present a challenge to us. To present a challenge to the man. To oppose the man. To get the men to operate at maximum capacity. To draw something out of that man that was not there when she wasn't there. She's opposed to the man. Every last man in here, and I'm presupposing that you're a good man. Every last man in here knows that a good woman challenges her man to be all that he can be. Everyone knows that. Why? Because it's God's design. It's God's distinction. You say, how do you know that? Well, I can tell you a story. That about every man in here that can relate to. I was 21 years old when I met Shannon. I was what they might call a hot mess. I didn't have anything together. Nothing together. No goals at all. None. I did not have any goals. You might think that's funny. I had no goals. No plans. I was just along for the ride. That's it. My, my poor mom and dad probably did not have much hope for me thinking, what kind of a future is this boy going to have? He ain't going to make it. You know, I, I didn't give them much evidence to believe that I was going to make it. I didn't. But when Shannon came along, boy, it kicked me into a gear I didn't know I had. I'm not kidding you. It kicked me into a gear that I didn't know was there. It caused me... To, to become something that I wasn't. She was opposed to me. I'll tell you, I started saving money. First time in my life I started saving money. You might laugh at me. Does anyone remember the old, it used to be called, the bank used to be called Mutual Federal. It's what Park National Bank is nowadays. Anyone remember the old passbook savings that they had? It was like a blue, mine was blue, 
and it, you could flip these pages open, and if you save money, you give it to them. They would put it in their machine. There was weeks, laugh at me if you want to, there was weeks I saved 10 bucks, $10, just as proud as I could be to come and see that new balance was $10 higher than what it was. There was other weeks I saved 15 bucks. Might have had a good week where I saved 30 bucks. I remember when I got my first 1000 bucks on that, four digits was saved in that passbook. I was like, oh my goodness, man. You know, walking around like you're a rich man or something like that. I never had that much money in my life. But it was because I met her. She began to challenge me. You can't live like a bozo and just buy whatever you want and live frivolously and spend all your money. you got to get some stuff together. I started saving money. I started working harder. I started trying to do a good job at whatever it was that I was doing. I started looking for better and more lucrative jobs. I started maturing. I started thinking about my future. And most importantly, I started to take Christianity seriously. I started seeking the Lord more because I needed direction. This stuff, now she's come along, man, this stuff's getting real. There's life starting to get important now. I can't be a little boy anymore because she's opposed to me. Why? Because that's how God created it. It's a distinction between men and women. Shannon challenged me without even coming and challenging me. Do you understand that? She didn't come up to me and said, hey, boy, unless you have four figures in that savings account, you ain't going to be with me. Unless you can afford to buy me these things, you ain't having me. No, it's just by nature, the design of God. She was opposed to me. By God's design of the women, she opposed my immaturity. And she, she drew manhood out of me. And, and it's a wonderful, beautiful process that emerges to us from these first few chapters of Genesis. Do you see how this stuff isn't for children? This stuff is foundational to who we are. Women, you have to know who you are, where you came from. Men, you got to know what you are, where you came from, where you're going, who your God is. We got to know these things. Okay, I'll stop preaching there. I love this stuff. It's fascinating. Amen. Anyone else fascinated by this stuff? Let's all stand. Um, We'll band, you can have the afternoon off. We'll, we'll dismiss in prayer. Let's stand. Are not, the, are not the teachings of Genesis just... There's times, brothers and sisters, I'll read this stuff, and I'll have to stop and close my Bible, and I'll kind of wheel my chair off to the side. And my, it's like my mind is blown by how wonderful these teachings are. I treasure them, and I hope you treasure them too. And I hope that you can see the value that just these first few chapters of Genesis have. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I love, love, love your word. I love what it teaches. I love how you connect with us, God. You are trying to connect with us through these chapters, Lord. Throughout your whole book, Lord. This is your book, Lord. We treasure it here at this church, Lord. Lord, I pray that this message settles in everyone's heart, Lord. Lord, that the Bible gives us questions to current problems, Lord. It's not antiquated like many might say. Lord, it's not out of date. It's actually very much pertinent to what's going on in the world today, Father God. It gives us answers, Lord, of who we are, where we come from, who you are, Lord. It gives us purpose and meaning and identity, and I thank you for that, Lord. Lord, it provides a foundation for us, God. I'm so grateful for it, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you settle these matters in our heart this morning, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. 
In your precious name we pray. Amen. You're blessed. Have a good afternoon, everyone. Hallelujah.